listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. Well, Northside, over the past seven weeks, we have really come face to face with some pretty hard stuff. We've talked about death. We've talked about weariness. We've talked about suicide. We've talked about fear. Last week, we, Alan was talking to us about waiting when we're just feeling like we're stuck in the wait. What do we do? We really dealt with some hard things, just as the book of Psalms, which we're going through these Psalms of Lament, deal with some hard things. But we've also entitled this series, Hope in the Face of, because no matter what we face, no matter what we go through, we did that for a couple reasons. First of all, as believers, it doesn't matter how hard it gets, we always have hope. The gospel is a guarantee of that, that we have hope. The good news of Jesus means we've got hope. And so we never lose it. But we also entitled this series, Hope in the Face of, because Hope is the language of pain. In fact, in some ways, hope almost requires pain. Hope is what you have even when you're in the midst of pain. Michael DeFazio in his book, More Jesus, he says this, hope reminds us that the story is not over yet, that we're living out the plot rather than enjoying the final resolution. There's more to the story. That's what hope reveals that this is not the final say. This isn't how it's going to end. There is more to come. And that's what hope gives us. It's the language of pain, but it means there's a future to come. The Apostle Paul, he was in a great example of this. He, 55 out of 84 times that hope is mentioned, Paul is the one mentioning hope. And you're kind of like, why did, why did Paul mention hope so much? Probably because he was in pain so much. It's in 2 Corinthians 11, that we read that Paul faced prison and floggings and exposure and death, and he was stoned and shipwrecked, and he was in danger from rivers and bandits and robbers and persecutors, and he was in danger of being hungry and cold and thirsty and naked. Yet in all of it, Paul reminds us in Romans that hope does not disappoint. You're like, how could he say that? Well, the reason he said that is because when everything else had, he still had hope. When everything else disappointed When everything else brought pain or hardship or suffering in his life, what remained was hope. He never lost it. He always had it. In fact, I think that's a good reminder for us today that no matter what you go through, no matter how many losses you have, no matter how much grief you experience, you always have hope. There was a powerful example of this to me going back several years ago. In fact, on May 22nd, 2011, That was the day, we've just experienced a lot of graduations, haven't we, over the last two weeks? And that was the day that Joplin was experiencing a graduation, but on that day is when the EF5 tornado hit Joplin, Missouri. Over 200 mile per hour winds came into that city. This tornado that was over almost a mile wide and just split the city in half for about a six mile trek through the city. It was just a deadly tornado, the deadliest since like 1947, and devastation was everywhere. You saw windows blown out, roofs completely ripped off, steel trusses just folded like paper. It snapped oaks like toothpicks. It tossed semis hundreds of yards. It crushed cars like soda cans. It destroyed commercial buildings. It disintegrated houses. It it impaled a tree with a rubber hose. 
It lifted a nine-story concrete hospital off of its foundation. And then worse than all of that, 150 people were killed, 1,100 injured, 7,000 households destroyed, 300 businesses swept away, 4,000 jobs lost or affected. This deadly tornado just wreaked its havoc, and there were so many losses, so much grief was felt by that community. And it affected not just the people in that community, but many of us here as well. We had family in that community. I grew up in that community. My brother's home was decimated through that tornado. When we went to help do some relief efforts the very next day and started going to Joplin to help, it was then that we saw a sign there in Joplin. And this sign was at the high school. The high school too was decimated in Joplin. But this sign there only had two letters that remained from what it once spelled Joplin. And it was just the O and the P. And someone came through with duct tape and taped on there the letters H and E on either side of it to spell hope. I guess when you feel like you've lost nearly everything, hope still remained. Hope is for people in pain. And one of the greatest pains that we experience as humans is grief. It's grief. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about hope in the face of grief. When you've experienced a loss. And I know oftentimes for us, the emotional response of grief brings out a lot. It can bring shock or denial or release or anger or rage or sadness or depression or stress. And it can cause physical symptoms of anxiety and hostility. We experience disorganization. We feel like we're in a fog, all of those things. I think one of the greatest weights we often feel with grief is when someone has passed away or someone dies. I know it was just about a week and a half ago, I was doing a funeral for a 16-year-old young man who had died and tragically had overdosed and there were complications with that and some confusion with it and friends and family were just experiencing all the pain that comes with grief and loss, and it was happening right here in our community. And, but death is not the only kind of loss. And they're still reeling from that. But I can just tell you that there are thousands of losses that you're going to experience in your life. There's all kinds of physical health losses. And not only the loss of health, but even losing parts of our body to disease or sickness or cancer. You can lose relationships from separation or divorce or have, experiencing a, a falling out. Or maybe there's a loss of a, of a pet in your life or the loss of a job, which is a loss of finances. Maybe you lose satisfaction in your work. Maybe you lose independence, the ability to drive or to live by yourself or to provide for yourself and all those losses. You can lose mental capacity. And with mental capacity, you lose your memory or you lose trust or you lose freedom. Maybe you lose belief. You can lose material possessions, important personal possessions, a house or belongings like what we talked about earlier. You can lose stability or continuity where you life changes. And so maybe you get uprooted or you, you have to move or leave or graduations or marriages or children leaving your home or changing of schools. All of these things can bring about loss for you change for you. It can overwhelm you with grief. And so today what I want to talk about is how to go through grief, 
How do you go through grief? And I want to give you a good tool for that from Psalm chapter 13 here in a moment of how you go through the losses and grief in your life. Now, in two weeks, I'm going to talk about how to help people through grief, how to help someone else through grief. We'll get to that in two weeks. But today, how do you go through grief? And here's the first thing as you go through grief I'm going to talk about. First, you have to choose to go through your grief instead of avoiding your grief. You got to choose to go through it. There's a choice involved with that. I mean, I know in some ways grief comes to us no matter what, but there's a choice to go through it instead of avoiding it. Because grief is no doubt one of the most painful emotions we experience as humans. And a lot of us just want to avoid it. We don't want to face it. We don't want to deal with it. And yet grief is one of the most helpful, healthy things that we can go through, that we can experience. God designed it so that grief is a helpful emotion when we're experiencing loss. And you're like, well, how's it healthy? How's it helpful to me? Well, Rick Warren, who's a former church planner and the lead minister of Saddleback Church in California, he experienced a tragic loss in his life whenever his son died of suicide. He had battled mental illness for for a long time, and he died of suicide. And Rick said in a message that was entitled, How to Get Through What You're Going Through, he said, grief is God's tool for you getting through your transitions in life. If you don't grieve in your losses, you get stuck. And all kinds of bizarre behaviors and habits, fears, hang-ups, problems come because we don't actually deal with the losses we have in life. He said that's how you get stuck. And some of you are still stuck at the age of 14 or 28 or 32 or older because you didn't grieve a major loss in your life and you got stuck there. And you wonder why you have anxieties and phobias and fears and low self-esteem. It's because you didn't learn how to experience good grief. You didn't go through it. Somehow you short-circuited it, you bypassed it, you avoided it. But we shouldn't. Jesus even went through grief. He experienced grief. He didn't avoid it. He went through it. When his friend Lazarus died and passed away, we read that Jesus mourned. He wept. He, he was filled with sorrow. In fact, it says that his spirit was disturbed within him. It was troubled. He experienced grief and he went through it. For a lot of us, we need to understand there's two unhealthy reactions to grief. One is Repression and the other is suppression. Repression is when you unconsciously block painful thoughts out of your mind. You don't even realize you're doing it, but you're blocking those, repressing those thoughts out of your mind. So it's done unconsciously. Suppression is when I do it consciously. When it comes to my mind, I'm like, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to face it. I'm not going to grieve. I'm going to get on with my life. I'm not going to, I'm going to deny it. I'm going to put my head down and keep moving forward. And when we do that, when we suppress our grief, it is a mistake. It's a mistake. Grief is God's gift to get us through the transitions of life. And there's two reasons that you should go through it and not avoid it. And the first is because if I don't let grief out in healthy ways, it is going to come out in unhealthy ways. If I don't let it out in healthy ways, it's going to come out in unhealthy ways. We see this with people all the time. Through their bad behaviors, and they're dealing with it, and they're experiencing it because of painful traumatic experiences that they just never grieved. It could could have been an alcoholic dad or an unloving mother or mistreatment or prejudice or bigotry or how they were treated growing up as kids or on the playground, whatever it is. If you haven't grieved it, some loss that you experienced in some way, that unresolved, unmourned grief will lead you to act out in unhealthy ways. So you got to go through it. You can't get around it. It's kind of like the professor who, when he experienced a major loss in his life, kind of took this intellectual approach to it. 
he decided that he was going to, with a colleague and a friend, he was going to sit down and he would analyze his grief and his feelings and, and what he was going through. And he began to do that with his colleague and talk about it at an intellectual level until his friend, his wise friend, told him, you can't just think your way through grief. You need to feel your way. And in that moment, this professor realized he'd been talking about his feelings as if they were outside of him to evaluate them and analyze them, and it actually kept him from feeling them. He needed to go through them, not around them. A cowboy once described the secret of riding a wild bronco. He said, you don't fight the horse and try to control it. Not at all. Instead, you just move along with him and let him take you wherever he goes. And that wisdom from a cowboy can be applied to grief. You don't fight your grief or try to control it. You simply move along with it and let it take you wherever it goes to experience the feelings that have been stirred up by your loss, to share the painful memories and talk about the issues and let them surface. If you don't, you're just going to face more pain and more struggles. So that's the first reason why we go through it. If we don't do it in healthy ways, it's going to come out in unhealthy ways. And here's the second reason why we go through it. Because when I swallow my grief, and this is what Rick Warren says, he says, when I swallow my grief, my body rejects it. When I repress it or suppress it, my body rejects it. Doctors have even said that a lot of illnesses that people have is because of unresolved grief or unresolved regrets or resentment. It physically makes them sick. Rick Warren said we could probably empty our hospitals of a number of people if people actually grieved and dealt with those emotions that are inside of them that God never intended for them to keep bottled up. God intends for us to let them out. So we've got to go through it, not go around it. We need to deal with it and not avoid it. And in some ways, grief is unavoidable. I mean, it's coming to you whether you want it to or not, but we make ourselves sick trying to avoid it. So we've got to enter into it and go through it, not around it. That's the first tip when we're dealing with grief. We've got to go through it, not around it. The second thing, and you're going to see this even more as we begin to get in the Psalms here in a moment, but you need to understand that, that God grieves with you. He grieves with you. God is a God of emotion. You are created in the image of God, which means when you feel emotion, God feels emotion. He feels sadness and sorrow, and he feels regret when he sees what evil is doing, what evil people are doing to other people. He experiences all of those emotions. When Jesus was on earth, we see that emotion as he weeps and cries and sorrow comes out. He's a God of sorrows. And so in Psalm 34, 18, when it says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, that he saves those who are crushed in spirit. You need to know he can identify with you. He can enter into your pain. In Matthew 5, 4, when it says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. God enters into our motions to comfort us. He too has mourned and knows what that is like. He weeps, he mourns, he grieves with you. So we grieve because God grieves. But here's the third reason that we enter into grief. Because when it comes, or a way that we deal with our grief. Grief, we need to grieve in community with others. We should never grieve alone or in isolation. 
or just within ourselves, we were designed to grieve in community with other people. And we're going to talk more about that in two weeks, but, but God doesn't intend for our grief to be our own. We're tempted to shrink back and go into our cave and to be isolated and alone, but Romans 12 says we belong to each other with the body of Christ. We're supposed to rejoice with those who rejoice and we're supposed to mourn with those who mourn. That's how we help each other. In Galatians 6.2, it says carry each other's burdens. And if you do in this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. What's his law? To love one another. That's how we love each other is by carrying each other's burdens. Grief was never intended as a burden to be carried alone. We do it in community with other people who grieve with us, who grieve alongside of us, who mourn with us, who weep with us. We're to support each other. We're to care for each other in this way in community. Fellowship is what you need when you're in shock. And fellowship is what you need when you're in sorrow. We need each other. We need the people around us. Also understand this, number four. Understand that grief has its own timetable and it does not have an expiration date. That grief takes time. You don't overcome it quickly. You don't say, I'll give it 48 hours and then I'm back to work and doing my thing. It just doesn't happen that way. Grief has its own timetable. You, you can't rush it. When Rick Warren was talking about this and he, he talked about losing his son to suicide and Rick said, I, I couldn't count the number of people who said various things, but after the fact, after a little bit of time had passed, some people would say, you know, have, did, you, did you get over it? Are you over it yet? And he said, let me explain something to you about grief. You don't get over it. You don't get over grief. You get through it. You don't get over it. You're always going to remember it. At times, those emotions will be close to the surface, but, but you will get through it. You never get over the major losses in life, but you will get through the major losses of life. John Wuchkwa, who lost his brother Sam to natural causes in 2015, he was the one who said, grief does not have an expiration date. That He, he learned that. It's not like it, it, I'm done with it now and it won't come back. The grief stays with us. If you have ever lost a baby or a child, whether it was a preemie or, or for you, maybe a child that spent a short time with you before the baby passed away, that's not something you get over regardless of how short of a time you had with that child. You will remember it for the rest of your life. It's part of your life story. You will never get over it, but you will get through it because grief takes time. And one of the best things that I want to talk about today that we can do so that we go through it and not around it, so we experience it and not avoid it, so we can do it in community with each other, so we can understand that God grieves with us and he's in this One of the best things that we can do with our grief that is helpful to us and healthy for us. One of the best things that I want to encourage you to do today with the losses that you are feeling now, experiencing now, or losses you've had that the, the emotions are going to come tomorrow, maybe not today, is I want to invite you today to learn to lament. To lament your grief. You need to lament. Lament means to express sorrow, grief, complaints, questions, and frustrations to God. To complain to God. That's what I mean. We need to learn how to complain to God when we've experienced loss and hurt. God doesn't want you just to praise Him, He wants you to lament to Him. 
He doesn't want you just to confess to him. He wants you to complain to him. The Bible's full of laments. In fact, there's a whole book called Lamentations. It's a book of laments. About a third of the Psalms that we've been going through are laments. They're complaints to God. And notice that you're complaining to God. That's important. And we'll get to more of that here in a moment. But that's very important. You're complaining to God. Now, the lament can be very different. Uh, the tone of it and the emotions of it. Sometimes you're lamenting out of anger. Sometimes out of frustration. Sometimes out of confusion or fatigue or disappointment or fear. All of these things can lead us to lament to God. We can lament disease or sickness or enemies that are coming against us. All of this we see throughout Scripture where we're crying out to God for help and we're telling Him our complaints, the things that we're struggling with. And maybe right now you could just be thinking about what are the things that you're tired of tolerating in your life? There's things right now you're just sick of tolerating it in your life. You've been putting up with it. You need to turn that into a lament. You need to tell God what you think is unfair or what you think is painful or disappointing or angering. Let him know what it is. And throughout Psalms, we see a number of examples of this. And in week two of our series, we began to touch on a little bit. But I want us to look at Psalm chapter 13 today. It's a short psalm. In it, David is lamenting to God. In fact, four times he's going to ask God a question. How long? How long? He's going to ask the Lord. And I want us just to... Let this psalm speak as David speaks it to the Lord. And here's what he says. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day and have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he's been good to me. The psalm ends with trust. We'll get to that later. But it begins with four questions of complaint. And what I want you to see in this through these four questions of complaint, that this is an act of worship. Rick Warren said it this way, it's an act of worship when you complain to God. It's an act of rebellion when you complain about God. In other words, who you bring your lament to really matters a lot. It's important. There's some things we have to recognize in this. It matters how we complain and to whom we complain to. And, and Rick put together an acrostic for this. And I know those of you who know who he is, it, you're, not, you're not surprised by this. But he had an acrostic where he, where he used the word care as an acrostic. And the reason he used this word care as an acrostic is because in 1 Peter 5, 7, it says that we cast our cares on the Lord because he cares for us. And we should cast these cares to the Lord. So he's using this, cast your cares to the Lord, which is what lamenting is doing. Cast your cares to the Lord. And he's going to use care as an acrostic. And it just helps us know, here's some of the important ingredients, the elements of a lament. When you are grieving, when you are lamenting your losses, your pain, your hardship, and your struggles. The C stands for this, complain to God. Complain to God, not about God. This is how we lament. We complain to God, not against God. 
Moses complained to God, and God answered his complaint. The Israelite people just complained about God, and it showed a heart of rebellion that just kept drifting further and further away from the Lord. And so they spent the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Because they weren't bringing it to God, they were just complaining about God. It matters how we complain. There's a right way and a wrong way to do this. What's the right way? Well, complain to him first. And secondly, do it in faith. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. In Romans, it would tell us that if you don't act by faith, then you're sinning. And so faith is important. And what we're going to notice through David's prayers and laments through the Psalms is even though he's brutally honest and tells exactly how he feels and what he's thinking in the moment, he's doing it in a spirit of faith. God, I I believe you. I trust you. I have faith that, that you're good, that you're loving. He's complaining in faith. God, I know that you can accept this because you're big enough. You're a big God, and I'm, I'm going to bring this to you, God, but it's going to be by faith. In Psalm 142, verse 2, David said this, I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble. Before him, I pour it out to God, and I tell my trouble. Here, here's a, another example. In Psalm 55, verse 17, David says, Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. You can just you can see the lament. I mean, he's doing it like three times a day. I mean, there's a lot going on in his life in that moment. I'm not sure what, they, what all it is, but we know some of it. But he's calling out in his distress. And you hear my voice. There, there's a, it's done with an element of faith. Lamenting with trust in God. But lamenting just begins with just telling God what you find unfair or unjust or painful. God, I don't like what's going on in my life. I don't like what's happening. That's how the, the complaints in Psalms do it. And they often form questions. I know Psalm 13, there's four questions. You know, how long, how long, how long, how long, four times. He's going to ask that in different ways with different things he's experiencing. But other Psalms will ask questions like this. Why are you allowing this? Why don't you do something? When are you going to answer my prayer? Psalm 13 is how long is this going to take? We're in a world right now where it's falling apart. God, are you going to do something? In fact, sometimes you read the laments, it almost sounds more like a demand. God, do something. Right now, do this. But we complain to God, not about God. That's the C of the acrostic care. Complain to God. A is for this. Appeal to God. Appeal to God's nature. I I complain to God. And then I appeal to God's nature, to who he is, to his character, to his attributes. In your lament, saying, God, I, I know you, you are faithful and, and you are loving and you are good. This is why I'm bringing this to you. You are powerful. You are just. You're able to do something. So you start by bringing the complaint. Maybe it's, there seems to be nothing going right in my life right now or nothing going right in my nation or nothing going right in my family, nothing going right in my job or in my work and nothing going right in my relation with my spouse or nothing going right, we, we can't get pregnant or maybe I feel mocked by people because of my faith. Whatever the complaint is, you bring it to God. But you appeal to God's nature. God, I know you're just. And I can't imagine that this is what you would want to happen or how people should be treated. You've helped people in the past. Could you not help me? In Psalm 13, David is, is affirming God's love and his faithfulness, his salvation. 
He loves him and he will be saved by God. He's, he's a, appealing to God's nature. You're a loving God and you're a God of salvation. It's who you are. And he's reminding him of that. You, know, you think of Abraham when he was arguing with God over the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. He appealed to God for his justice, his fairness. Moses complains as he brings him to God. He appeals to God's nature. He, he's greater than the other gods of the other nations. Or David, he does it over and over again in the Psalms. Reasons God should act. And in Psalm 13, David's like, lest I should die. I mean, that's, that's one reason you should act, Lord. But here's another one. The enemies will gloat over my undoing. And you are my God. And God, you don't want them to gloat over me. They'll gloat over, in their minds, victory over you. So you appeal to God's nature. You look to who God is when you lament. Then there's something else you can do. It's the R and the acrostic of care. You complain to God. You appeal to God. And then you remind God. You remind God of his promises. The promise that he's made throughout his scripture. He will never leave you or he will never forsake you. Or that, that if you love him and you're called according to his purpose, he can bring good out of whatever hardship, struggle, pain, loss, grief that you're going through right now. He can do that. You're reminding him of what he said. You're reminding him of these things. Isn't that what every child does with their father? I mean, you're out and about, and you're like, well, when we get home, we'll, you know, da 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 and you get home, and sure enough, that kid remembers it. I mean, they're never going to forget it. They're like, Dad, you said, you said. You're like, yes, I did, and I'm a man of my word, so we will do it. That's like what we're doing, reminding our daddy of what he said, Several times in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah, he goes, God, you promised that you would do this, and you promised, and if you don't do this, then you're going to look bad, and your people are going to look bad. He's appealing to God's reputation. People are going to start saying, there's, there's no God. He doesn't help his people. They would remind God of what he said. It's exactly what Jacob did whenever God told him to go back to his land, and, and Jacob was going back, and in the process, realized that his brother Esau, who he had cheated and wanted to kill him, had 400 armed men with him. And Jacob starts lamenting and appealing to God and reminding God of his promises. You told me to go back. You said I would be a blessing. And he's reminding God of what he said. And this is the care of lament, complain to God, appeal to God. And remind God of his promises. And then there's this fourth thing you can do when you lament, and it's this. Express trust in God. Even though I'm complaining to God and I'm pouring it out, I can end this lament by expressing my trust. And that's how Psalm 13 ends. It ends rather abruptly. In fact, it's a surprise when it comes. He's like, how long, Lord? How long for this? How long for that? How long for this? How long for that? And then all of a sudden he says, but... I trust. I trust in your unfailing love. I trust in your salvation. And he just ends this psalm with assurance. You're like, how can he move so quickly from in this lament to trust? And it's like, well, obviously in this moment, he experienced what Philippians says is the supernatural peace of God that surpasses all understanding. It guards your hearts and minds. And he experienced it from the Father in that moment. And not only did he experience that supernatural peace, but he experienced the presence of God. And he was reminded why he trusts in God. And that was a choice that he was going to make as well. And almost every one of David's Psalms of Lament in this way, with trust. God, I'm going through the struggle. My life's hanging in the balance. Enemies are coming against me. 
I'm worn out and weary and exhausted. You seem silent. You don't seem to be moving. Not in my timetable, Lord. But I know who you are. And God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you as I go through this. Instead of leaning away from you, I'm going to lean into you. I'm going to put my trust in that you are good and that you have a plan and that you are wise. And even when there's bad things going on around me that I do not understand, God, I'm choosing right now, I'm going to trust you. I think we see an incredible example of this in Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19, when the Israelite nation is facing the captivity of the Babylonians and they're going through drought and they're going through their own depression. Everything's falling apart around them. And here's what Habakkuk says. He says, even though, even though, anytime something starts like that, you know we're going to start with something bad. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vine, and even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, and even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, even though, I will still rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Even though I'm going to trust, even though I'm going to rejoice, even though I'm going to be joyful in the God of my salvation, even though I'm going to sing, even though he is my strength. And what Rick Warren says about this, he says, this is, this is how you fight with God, especially when you're lamenting, you, you just surrender. That's how you fight with God. You just surrender. And you surrender those unanswered questions. You, you surrender those concerns. You, you surrender your will. And you get a sense of his presence. You get a sense that he cares for you. You get a sense of his supernatural peace that comes into your life. You understand that he has the one with the power that you cannot do it on your own. And I'm just wondering today, you know, what areas are you really struggling with today that you just haven't lamented to God? You've not faced them. You've not confronted them. You haven't dealt with them. You haven't been honest with it. You haven't cried out to God and poured that lament out to him that today you need to complain to God and appeal to his nature. And you need to remind him of his promises. And you need to express your trust. You haven't done it yet, but God's inviting you to do it because that's how you get through grief. It begins by lamenting to God. This is how we go through our losses to find healing and help. And in two weeks, I'm going to be preaching the second part of this message about how to help people who are grieving. And I'm going to share some resources that are helpful for the process and that we don't do this alone. We do it in community. And, and I even want to mention this. In fact, I'll put it up on the screen because maybe you've got your phone with you and you could just open up your camera and you could just zoom in to this QR code up here. But if, if you would be interested in this fall, we're going to be having a, a grief share group uh, this fall for people who've experienced grief and have experienced loss, and they're going to be able to kind of go through this journey together through grief share, kind of like a support group together through this. Uh, you can just get that QR code right there. It's just an interest, so we can give you a specific invite to come. But this is something we're going to be offering, and I'll just kind of give a teaser right now that that's coming this fall to help you through whatever losses and grief that you're experiencing. And so we're going to be covering that in two weeks. But I would just like for us today to conclude our time together in the same way that Psalm 13 concludes. Like we've talked about complaints, we've talked about losses, we've talked about grief. We have 
because of that, talked about God's nature and his promises to us. But I want to come to the E of care in this acrostic. And I want us to end our service in this way where we could just, no matter what we're facing or going through or experiencing or feeling, that right now we would express our trust in God. That we would end it just like Psalm 13 ends it. Where David would say this, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he's been good to me. He's good. He's been good to me. Even if life hasn't, I'm going to sing his praise. Even if I'm going right now through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm going to sing his praise. I'm going to rejoice in his salvation. He has given me salvation that no one can take away. This is the language of hope. David is giving a language of hope right here. He's singing. He's rejoicing. He's praising in salvation. I don't know that his circumstances changed yet. But what changed this moment is he experienced the presence of God and that supernatural peace and he could sing it and declare it and say, I trust you. There's a choice of faith here that I'm going to trust you because you're good even if life isn't right now. And I just want to invite you today to do this, this very thing David did, that you too would sing, you too would lift up your voice, you too would give praise to God you would choose to trust him. In a moment, we're going to be singing a song, Alleluia, here below. Sometimes I can feel hard to sing Alleluia when you're here below. But that's what hope is teaching us, is that we're here below. There's a heaven and this is not it. Heaven will come here. It will be here. There will come a time when he will renew and restore everything. God will do that. But until then, I'm just going to trust him. The song we're going to sing says, we're an altar of broken stones. But you delight in the song we sing. There's a verse that says, and should the fire that once burned bright become an ember in my eyes, let me read that again. And should the fire that once burned bright become an ember my eyes can't see, I will remember your sacrifice. I will abide in your love for me. And that's our prayer. There are times when the fire that's burning bright becomes an ember due to the grief and the pain and the loss. It seems to be creating a fog or a cloudy around us, but we can still trust and we can rejoice and we can sing because of who God is. That's what we want to do. If you want to just stand to your feet right now, if there's anyone in this room that would just like to pray with someone today. You know, I know that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groans that words can't express when we need prayer. And today, we're even going to have our prayer team down here at the sides of our room and at the sides of the stage, and they're here to pray with you right now, to intercede with the Lord on your behalf and to pray for whatever losses or grief or struggles or hardship or pain that you are experiencing. Let them pray with you and over you right now.
Maybe today you need to begin a relationship with Jesus. You need to place membership in this church. You just need to, you need to talk to someone. Our prayer team can do that with you. Or if you'd like to visit with me, I'll be right over here at Decision Point. These double doors here to your right. I'm going to be going through there. I would love to visit with you there. Perhaps you're watching online. You can go to Northside Christian Church slash decision to begin that conversation. Or there's cards in the seat pockets in front of you to begin that conversation. But I want us right now just to reflect before we sing. And Corey's just going to share some thoughts with us of what this looks like when we put our trust in the Lord. And just let this right now be a moment where we let the Spirit minister to our hearts. And, and Lord, we are praying to you. God, we're bringing our complaints and our frustrations and our anger and our hurt and our loss and our grief. God, we're bringing it to you. And we do it boldly. Because to whom else would we bring it? And so we complain to you, God. God, we appeal to you because of who you are. That you care for us and you love us and you don't leave us or forsake us. And you have a plan and purpose for us. And so we come to you, God, knowing this, knowing you're just and good. Reminding you of these promises so that, Lord, our hearts and minds can be guarded in the truth of Jesus. that, Lord, I guess our prayer right now is that, God, no matter what, even if we would just trust you, help us to trust you, give us the strength to trust you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.